Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Hi, this is Billy. I'm here with Jason. Hey, what's up? Uh, and we're here with Recovery, sort of. Uh, this week, I kind of had a weird situation. Jason was there, and uh, we had an interaction that was interesting, and one of those experiences that I thought about afterwards, and uh, just caused me to think a little bit about how I interact with uh, people that are using, using addicts you know, outside of meetings and outside of the comfort zone of how I feel about dealing with addicts in meetings. Um, so we, Jason, I, and another friend of ours, Jason, had went to a meeting. We went out to eat afterwards. Uh, we were standing outside the restaurant, just all of us having a conversation. Um, and a, say, young man, probably mid to late 20s, maybe, maybe early 30s, hard to tell, um, comes up. You could tell he was a little, uh, I don't know. Fishy. Yeah, he, he looked a little sketchy, but he wasn't overly threatening. He wasn't, you know, he came up pretty uh, meek or whatever you want to say. And so he walked up and he asked for a cigarette and uh, Jason and I don't smoke. The other Jason did. And he, you know, he kind of does this, hey, do you have a cigarette? You know, I'm sorry. I'm a piece of shit. And, you know, I, I'm sorry. And, you know, so Jason gives him a cigarette and then he's like, you, you need a light. Yeah, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm garbage, you know, whatever. And he's just talking down about himself. And so he gives him a cigarette, gives him a light. And of course, I think the three of us are standing there. At least my expectation was then he would just turn around and walk away with his cigarette. And he doesn't. He stands there and becomes like a fourth in our conversation. And he walked up right mid. We were in the middle of talking about something. And of course, all three of us, I think, forgot what we were talking about. I know I did. Hilariously. Whenever I tell people to be a part of things in meetings, I'm like, just walk up and fucking be a part of the conversation. So <laughs> yeah. you're part of it. Like, just do it. And right. he did that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, so he stands there and he's like a fourth in our conversation. And it was just for me personally, it was awkward and weird. Like, what is up with this deal? Is he going to start asking me for things? You know, because that's always awkward. Um, And so he stands there and he keeps goes on to talk about he just got out of or left AMA the hospital and now he's out there on cold and it's you know it's 20 something degrees that night it's pretty chilly out and uh he didn't know what he's gonna do and he's probably gonna freeze to death and I think Jason made the recommendation of a couple of different you know treatment or, or uh, missions and things down that way um and he kind of blew them off and he didn't really say much. And I mean, the truth was in that moment of all that, all I wanted was an out, out of that whole weird situation. You know, it was just awkward. It was weird. You just interrupted our conversation. What do you want? You know? And uh, I just didn't, didn't feel good after we left the, the whole thing. Um, I, in the moment, I was just glad to be, oh, and then as we're standing there talking, he proceeds to say, oh, excuse me for a minute, and pulls a bottle of liquor out of his pocket and starts drinking his bottle of mm -hmm. liquor. Um, 
which was like the I just want to get out of this, you know, moment for me. Um, and so we kind of, hey, we're going to go now, you know, gave each other hugs. Um, that guy was there. I, and maybe it's just me or maybe it's not, but he looked like he wanted a hug or whatever. And I did the old, you know, stuck my hand out to give him the handshake kind of thing. Um, and it was just a weird whole situation that as I thought about later, I was like, wow, I really wish I would have done some things differently there. Not that I feel guilty or anything that I did anything wrong, um, but I wish I would have handled myself differently. And so I don't know your, if that was pretty accurate take on that situation or if you had anything. Uh, yeah, that seemed pretty pretty accurate. Uh, one one minor detail that didn't get thrown in that I did want to point out just to, to give him credit was that the other Jason uh, did hug the guy when you and I shook his hand and I was like, man, God damn it. Don't be better than us. I uh, saw that too, which is <laughs> what probably imprinted right. that on my mind. So yes, I did catch that. Yeah, so just, just to give him credit, that was pretty awesome mm-hmm. that he did. So uh, I think that was a pretty accurate description. I have not thought about this particular situation much throughout this week since it happened. Um, but similarly in the past I have. And so I run into this, um, I say I'm somebody who cares. I I say I'm an addict in recovery that wants to help other people, whether they're other addicts that need recovery or just other people in general. Um, You know, I've made it part of my life's goal. I've gone into the the field of social work where, you know, we say we give a fuck and uh, and all these things. And like these situations are always a struggle for me. Right. There's like a lot of dynamics that go into it. One thing that I've noticed is that I don't have any problem volunteering to go do, you know, work uh, in any kind of field where it's like, hey, we're going to volunteer. We're going to show up. We're going to go into places and do good things for people. And yet I don't do it as well on my time. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. it's fine when I've signed up and I'm, I'm that's where my brain is at. Like I've got my brain and my heart all in one place. Hey, we're here to help. Like we're here to be a good dude. Right. And then when I'm on my free time, sometimes I just cannot click that on in an instant. Right. It's kind of like two separate places for me. And I don't maybe that's a healthy thing to be able to do that. Um, maybe if I was always running around with my heart wide open, it, it might be a little dangerous and, and I might burn out. I don't know. Um Another thing that that catches me is that I I shut down when people are just not ready, right? I I will do a little bit. I will try to mention some ideas. I will gauge their, you know, uh, where they're at in their stage of change, uh, per se. And and if they're like real far into pre-contemplation where they're not even considering that there's a problem yet or that they need to do something, I shut the fuck off, right? And that's what I kind of did with him. I he just, he was te- saying he just left the hospital. Right. And I'm like, well, that was a terrible idea. Yeah, You're right. cold out here. Like you, you had a wet, warm bed. And then, you know, I mentioned a couple places and he didn't really have any interest. And at that point I was like, okay, I don't think I can really offer you anything that you want. Um, and then when he pulled out the, the alcohol, I was like, and now I don't want to be here. So I'm <laughs> yeah, leaving. Right. Uh, that's, that's the kiss of death for this conversation. For yeah. Me. yeah. And, yeah. So all that, I think I, I agree with all of those things. I think for me, and this is just my, my personal thing, one, and I kind of mentioned it and you touched on it there very well, is it's funny how I would feel in that situation if that was in like a meeting. If I was in a meeting and 
you know, you can smell when people have used or you kind of know when people right. are high in meetings, but they're there. And maybe there's something there that to me and my brain is like, at least they're looking for help. But the mm. truth is, some of them probably aren't. They're just there for whatever, whoever. Cup made coffee. It. Yeah, right. A cup of coffee and it's warm. But the truth is my like say, maybe that part of me is more turned on at meetings and I'm way more receptive or willing to like give that person a hug and try to talk to them and say, Hey man, you know, right. looks like you're struggling or, you know, what's going on or, or really to engage them in conversation when I am, you know, in a meeting, but outside of a meeting or outside of that environment, it just, it felt very different. <laughs> it was, it was weird to reflect on. Like, I don't know that I was so aware of that. So, so to reflect on right. that afterwards was interesting. Just to to look at, I think it's a pretty universal concept of something people, I don't know if it's a struggle or a positive. We still haven't really established that, <laughs> nor do I think we will in this episode. Uh, I was about to have my first ever session with a client in therapy, right? And I reached out to two people who I know are, are compassionate therapists, people, right? And both of them, I was like, hey, I'm concerned. I'm nervous. This is my first client ever. I'm really scared. And both of them said, you'll be great and left it at that and kind of walked away. And I was like, what a fucking unvalidating, <laughs> uncompassionate thing to say to me, right? That's shitty. Now, look, I know neither of these people would ever tell somebody that in a therapy session, right? right? They'd be like, they would validate the hell out of them and normalize it and talk about it and delve into it. And yet I caught both of these people not in that moment of when they're used mm -hmm. to providing that. And so I don't know. I guess people struggle with when they're not ready to provide. Maybe we should all be more trained to provide it more regularly. <laughs> or maybe we do need to turn it the fuck off so that we have a chance to like recuperate. Almost like when we sleep, right? We need time to like let all that shit processing and, and manifest. And maybe we need to turn caring off for a while so that we're not, I don't know, always in pain for someone else. Yeah. And like, so in, in this situation we were in, as I reflected back on what I wish I had done, I don't yeah. wish I had given more or been this source of advice that was going to change the person's life. Like none of that. What I wished I had done differently is just been a little bit more. And it's just for me personally, like a, I would say a compassionate mm -hmm. human being to just, even to just be honest and say, hey, you know, all three of us are people in recovery mm -hmm. that have struggled with addiction over the years. We've all been down a similar path to what you're going through. Just to let you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to do this. There are people that can help you right. if you want help. Even just saying something like that and then opening the door uh, to, to maybe that possible conversation mm -hmm. or saying, hey, so what do you what are you trying to do for yourself or what are you looking for? What do you, you know, just to see what they say. And again, not that I'm, that means I owe them anything or that I have right. to give them some sort of uh, answers to their problems, but just to treat another human being with dignity and compassion and respect, you know, even though it's a homeless alcoholic on the street, who's right. now just done this whole weird social interaction and, Again, for me, what what the reflection was is how awkward and weird I felt in that moment. And so just I just wanted to get away, you know, and is that stigma? Like, is that a sense of uh -huh. stigma of like, oh, my God, here's this homeless alcoholic guy coming up, right. you know, to ask to start begging us for stuff. 
you know, and I, I don't want to be around this guy. <laughs> I definitely want to clarify that I don't feel like we did not treat him with dignity or compassion. I think we were like a decent human being to him. I don't think we treated oh, him yeah, badly. Oh, yeah, yeah. You worried me there we for didn't a second. Treat like, him. No, I, I don't feel like we treated him bad at all. No, I thought <sighs> we were kind. I mean, I don't think we were, right. we were degrading at all. I mean, we could have definitely been like, fuck you. Right. But right. we didn't do that. <laughs> it made me think of a song for a second, that What It's Like song or whatever. Yeah, if I ever right. uh, no, so yeah, no. I mean, now that you bring that up, yeah. Do do I wish we, we would have shared a little bit about our story? It would have been nice. I definitely, the one thing I wish I would have done different is giving him a hug, right? Yeah. Like in that split second moment, the hug thought was there and I didn't, right? I yeah. just didn't. Um, and, I, and I do wish I would have. Uh, I don't, I don't know though. That's a, that's a tough one. There is some stigma. There is some uncomfortability. I can't say it's completely because he was drinking or an alcoholic or an addict or homeless or any of that. Like mine is a lot just that I have fucking social anxiety at times and struggle with talking to anybody I don't know. And so I just want to get the fuck away from everybody at all times. If I'm not used to talking to you now, get me comfortable with somebody and I start a fucking podcast and can't shut the fuck up. Right. But around people, I don't know. I'm very much like, Oh my God, I don't know how this is going to go. I need to get out of here. So that me too. I don't know if that was so much had anything to do with who he was or just the fact that I didn't know him now. And this is something else I thought of. And I don't know that I don't have an answer to, but do you think there's anything to the fact that of course I've been clean you know, 19 years, you're what, 16, yeah. something. And Jason's got what the other Jason that was there One. is, yeah, yeah, has a year. So there's a big separation of that, you know, being actively engaged with using people. And, and like I say, I'm not bringing that up to be a good or bad, but is that just something that happens? Like as we stay mm. in recovery longer and longer, I mean, my interactions with actively using addicts is almost non-existent at this point in my life. I see him on the street. I might see him come into meetings, but not a lot of new people ask me to sponsor him anymore. So I don't have that uh, influence or input into my life. Um, You know, most of the people that I hang around with or talk to are people that have multiple years of recovery or, you know, a completely different life than what I had at a year clean. Right. And is there something there? So being from Baltimore, um, and I've only been up here about 17 months or so, I don't know. It it is a little different up here. I don't have that direct interaction a lot of times with, I I got some newer people uh, around, but I don't have the direct interaction with people who use frequently, I guess. It's just not, um, not in my network right this moment, right? But down in Baltimore, I did frequently sponsor guys who could not stay clean for whatever reason. They weren't ready. They weren't willing. Um, a few of them have died over the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. And, and it's hard to watch. It's mm-hmm. hard to do. But I, I do agree with you that there is some separation still. Like I remember having like 18 months. And if you asked me to go share an H and I, like I was like, yeah, this is where my message is most powerful. Right. right. I could definitely help the guy who can't get a day clean. Uh, and now if you ask me, it's like, uh, I don't know what like nothing i'm talking about really identifies or or, you know relates to those people who are struggling just to not use uh, you know i talk about the struggles like we talk about on here of dealing with life and my wife and my kids and all this and they're like what the fuck are you bitching about dude i got a heroin problem (laughs) um great wish i had a job and and all that stuff so I do think there is a natural separation from things uh kind of i guess everybody like anybody who went to college and 
partied in a frat or a sorority or just partied in college and then you know at the age of 40 might not associate very much with like keg stands and college football (laughs) games anymore you know what i mean so we do remove ourselves but i will say that i don't know i don't know that that's who i want to be right i'm glad i don't hang around with using addicts for one like i don't want to use but i'd much rather be the guy that's more closely identified that gives that guy a hug right and and that's this is the instance where i think i can learn from the guy with less clean time or whatever you however you want to refer to that like he did the thing that i believe i should have done in that moment and so i can learn from that and i'm glad he's around to show me that that's who i still want to be yeah absolutely so yeah anyway that was probably about all i had on that i just thought it was a weird interaction that stuck in my head and i didn't know if you know sometimes we have those interactions in life and our version of reality is different than what reality right right (laughs) Uh, well, uh, if we want to switch gears a little bit, so we talked, uh, <clears throat> I think I talked about on here that I, I vaped at work like a while ago. Did we, I don't even remember yeah, what the fuck did. we talked about on here. Thank I'm glad you know. Um, so <clears throat> apparently I just thought this was one of those things. It was a, not a very comfortable moment when my supervisor brought it to me. Uh, and, and, but I thought it's been handled really well, right? Like, okay, first thing, don't vape in the work bathroom anymore, even though I think I'm pretty sure I'm learning that more and more of our clients do vape in the bathroom <laughs> as I'm, as I'm being there uh, for a longer time. So I was like, well, that's a good thing. Just follow the rules. Hey, you know, that's a good re- counter reaction to being told to do the right thing, do the right thing. Uh, and then I quit vaping, which is still going on. I don't know, three weeks now or whatever it is. That's awesome. Okay? Not going to yeah. vape no more. So I'm like, damn, this is a really good outcome for this, for this, you know, what seeming like a really bad moment. Uh, and apparently like it didn't go well for my supervisor. Like it did for me, like she just had some hangups, I guess, with me or the vaping or, or something along the way. And, uh, so Thursday she decided she, she was gonna let me go basically. Like she can't do it anymore. And I, it kind of, it really, it really caught me off guard, man. I'm like, what in the fuck? Right? Like, what did I do that was so bad that you don't feel like you can see this commitment through that six months ago, you couldn't wait to sign up to do, Mm. right? Like she wanted this. It's not like it was thrown on her. Like she volunteered for this position and then took me on and then doesn't want to finish it out. And I'm like, I don't, my experience with me and look, I know I have a misguided judgment on myself, right? It's one-sided. I see myself probably a little better than some other people that have to deal with me do. But generally like the, the feedback I get, whether that be in grades in school or, or promotions at jobs or anything like that, the feedback that I'm given that I can take from the world is generally pretty good. It's pretty positive, right? It's like, Hey, you do a good job. Cool. I like that feedback, right? what the hell happened with me and this lady that I had to be let go is, is the really curious part for me. And, and I, I made my peace with it. Like I spoke my piece to her before it all happened. And so I'm like, fuck it. It is what it is. She is sort of affecting my grade. Uh, I've, I've been a 4.0 student for seven years and she's pretty much going to make me get a B for the first time ever. And it kind of pisses me off. I'm like, you're not even going to see me anymore. <laughs> Like, that doesn't seem fair, but I just, it's really weird to, to get that opposite feedback uh, and not get it very well to where I even know what 
the hell it means, honestly. Um, and especially after what doing what I feel like was every next right thing after our, you know, conversation about things maybe not being right. Do you have a, any experience so, with that? Yeah. Okay. So immediately what I think, I, there's a couple of things, but at the very end, I'll, I'll say this. When we do like an eighth and ninth step and we make mm. our list of amends, you know, we make our list and then we go make the amends. We are taught in there that we don't get to control the outcome of that hmm. amends. Obviously, we want everyone to go, hey, no problem. It's water under the bridge. I love you. Yes. And the damage is, you know, it's okay. And we'll move forward. Everybody and we have all me. these great <laughs> expectations of that's going to happen. But the reason we talk about that in that step work is because there may be people that go, no, fuck you. I hate you. Or mm. I'm hurt by what you did. Or you violated you know, me in this way. Right. And I'm not, you know, I'm glad you're sorry, but I don't, doesn't make it better. And that's a reality that can happen and has happened too. Hmm. And at least surface wise, like that's kind of what this sounds like. Like that sounds like this person says, well, it's great. You're doing all these other things. That's wonderful. But you did this wrong thing and I am not okay with it. Right. No matter what you do afterwards, it doesn't undo the wrong thing, hmm. you know? Making amends doesn't make the pain of the damage that we did go away. It helps to make it better going forward. Um, with all that said, you know, obviously we all make mistakes in life and we all, you know, get shit wrong sometimes. Um, I've learned, you know, part of humility for me is learning that I have some really good characteristics um, that make me a really good let's say employee at work, you know, there's, there's some things that I've become aware of that make me a really good employee. That doesn't mean I don't have, you know, downsides <laughs> that doesn't oh, yeah. negate, you know, the, the liabilities of my character. You know, I have some Absolutely. things that aren't so great. And again, thank God I've done some step work to help me see like, Hey, these are some areas that I got to watch that I'm prone to yeah. certain behaviors that I'm prone to certain attitudes that, that I'm that not so great feedback usually comes from my family. They're yeah. more aware of that part. <laughs> right. And so that's a, you know, with all of your assets that you might bring to the table at therapy or school or work or home, you still have liabilities, Absolutely. you know, and, and we don't get, unfortunately in most of life, we don't get judged on a total sum kind of thing. Like you have a plus B equals C and you're just a C like, that's not how it works. Yeah, you build a thousand bridges, uh, but then you suck one dick, you're no longer a bridge builder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, something like that. So, you know, maybe this is just an opportunity to, to recognize our humility in right. that, you know, most people in your life professional career might like you, but some people aren't going to for whatever. I don't like everyone in the world, you know, like. <laughs> well, no, no doubt I have my liabilities or, or my drawbacks or my difficulties in dealing with me. Right. I, I know that they're there. I, I guess my experience is they don't usually come out outside of, well, I guess they come out outside of the house, but my, my immediate people in my life are the ones who see that the most, right. Who deal with that the most. And generally, even though they have come out in work environments or school environments before, it's generally not in the first six months of being there, right? That's the kind of shit that, like, first my representative's there, and he's <laughs> the guy, you know, handling everything with, with grace and class. And then later on, once I'm a little more comfortable, then the real, the real shit starts to come out a little bit. Same in relationships. 
Um, you, you did say something in there that made me curious about something. Um, so you talked about the step and I, I love that the eighth and ninth and how people don't have to, you know, be okay with it and how we need to go in knowing that the part we're doing is just being okay with us and making it right and not worry about that outcome. Right. Because I've had that experience on both sides of that. And it's rough sometimes knowing that people aren't going to accept that. So I was just curious when you said it, my, my thought was, Oh man, well, everybody deserves forgiveness and a second chance, right? We all make a mistake. We all like, I, I make a lot of fucking, I make a fuck ton of mistakes, right? Maybe even on a daily basis. And I need another chance to try to get it right or a chance to apologize and still be looked at as human. So everybody should get that. And I tried to think real quick in my life, if there was anything that someone had done to me that I wouldn't, if they came to me in the form of some eighth or ninth step, you know, spirit of like, Hey, I fucked up. I recognize it. And I really want to make it as right as I can and do better from now on. Right. If they came to me in that spirit, is there anything that someone's done to me that I couldn't allow them to to do that and be comfortable with it. Like maybe not let them in my life again, but at least, you know, accept their apology. And I can't personally think of anything that was done to me that I find that I couldn't get past, but I know that you have a different life set of experiences than I do. And I'm curious your take on that. Gets yeah, a little I, personal. Sorry. That's okay. No, <laughs> I don't have a problem talking about it. Um, I think I've talked about it on here anyway. Yeah, so, you might yeah. have. <laughs> so, you know, I, I assume what Jason's referring to is uh, we had my stepfather had molested two of our kids. Mm. And in that situation, so there's a lot of things that I learned about my understanding of forgiveness in right. all of that. So, I will say that I have forgiven him. He's passed away now. Um, I will say that I forgave him, but not in the sense that I would ever, A, let him off the hook for the responsibility of what he did. And by that, I mean, we still press charges with police and moved forward with all the legal, you know, possibilities of punishment that we could. Right. And you can forgive someone and still do that. You can say... Hey, I am not going to hate you or, you know, spend my energy um, thinking negatively or being angry or wanting to hurt you because that was a lot of it for me. I can let those things go, but you are still liable and responsible for what you did here. And I'm going to make sure that there is some accountability held, i.e. that's to me is the making amends part. Right. It's not just forgiveness, you know, and making amends. Um, and then B, that doesn't mean that I would ever put myself in a situation, definitely not with my children where I would ever let (laughs) my kids or any other kids that I ever knew of be around them. Right. But I don't want them in my life either. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a bridge that's burned, you know? And again, I don't Hmm. have to harbor all this anger and resentment and ill will towards the guy, but I don't care if I never see him again. And when he died, I can't say that I was overly depressed or sad or that it even uh, there wasn't a little bit of like fucking good, you know, like there was a little bit of that there. So that's interesting. So I would say if you talk to me when I was on like step seven, 
you know, and had, I don't know, a year and a half clean. That's not really my circumstance. But early on, when I first got an understanding of eight and nine and, and just the idea of forgiveness and what I would hope to get out of, you know, these situations or, or the first time I read that, hey, everyone might not be receptive. If you'd have talked to me then, I would have probably said, yeah, that means you don't forgive me, right? <laughs> that means that this did not go kosherly because my idea of kosherly or, or well is that you like me again because that was really my goal earlier in recovery. Right. Will you please fucking right. like me, right? Right. I need um, your approval. Yes, it was. Uh, I can completely understand at this point in time where you're coming from. I would say, yeah, I think you can not harbor anger or bitterness towards the person and still press charges and still be living in a pretty spiritual place. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but that does make it trickier to, to understand. Like if I really don't want the person in my life anymore, do I really believe that they're different? Right. I can accept their apology, but do I really believe that they're different if I don't want them around? Cause if I believe they're different, then they should have completely on think have another opportunity to present themselves to me and, and be a part of my life. That's tricky. Yeah. So in this situation, the, he never came and apologized or took ownership right, or anything. I so I can say in my situation, I, I don't know if that would change mm -hmm. or not. I like to think probably not. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine that if he had come and said he was, it was, in fact, it was quite the opposite. Like right. after he admitted it to us, to our face, he went to the police and, and lied and changed his story and said, no, I, you know, cause he did that in the beginning when, when it first came out and we confronted him, he said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm sick. I'll go to counseling. I'll get help. Blah, 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 blah. You know, now of course it turns and, we were like, well, fine, whatever, great. And then we still turned around and called the police because, right. you know, and then when the legal part came, he lied and changed his story and said something completely different. Um, so to me, all that was just a, a show to try to get us not to call the police. Right. <laughs> so there was well no sincerity there, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I've always sort of went down the road with spiritual principles that spiritual principles, I live them and act them in my life. Um, and this sounds selfish to say, but it's like for my own self, for my own spirit. Yeah, right. um, I'm not kind to you because I'm doing you some favor. I'm not compassionate towards you because it's doing you a favor. Um, and that's a, whatever you call it, a bonus consequence of mm -hmm. living these principles. But my goal isn't, you know, to gain, like you say, to try to gain love and acceptance and those things from other people. So like as I'm doing step work and going through steps, you know, with people and teaching them about these principles and living them in their lives, like, you know, my understanding is that's me turning my will and life over to, you know, the power greater than myself. Like that power greater than myself is living these spiritual principles. And these principles have ripple effects out into the world. You know, they, they affect all the people around me right. in spite of myself. You know, and, and I don't do them because I want praise and accolades and rewards. Then that twists the motivation. No, I agree. Uh, you mentioned ripple effects and, and I like the I love analogies. I love putting a, a concept into pictures. Uh, the one that always does it for me is that, you know, a circle or a dot, you know, that that is a circle, a little period. Right. Is a 360 degree entity, but it's a tiny little fucking dot. And we say, oh, man, I, I only 
change this little tiny thing in my life. I only changed one degree, right? And that seems like nothing. But the further you get out away from the center of that as life goes on, that one degree is a huge fucking difference, right? And then maybe you make another little one degree change and, and keep moving further. Um, no, I, I agree with your... With, I don't think I live spiritual principles to help other people. I'm way too self-centered for that to be fucking true. Um, but what I... I do kind of tend to believe in more of a communal spirituality or, or shared existence um, where I almost think that me living in spiritual principles and how that affects other people very much is an effect on me. It's almost kind of like, uh, I guess the, the Christian belief would be sort of like, Hey, treat everybody as if they were Jesus. And, and I kind of believe that the universal you know, God energy is in everybody. So I feel like when I treat you well, I'm also treating me well, I'm treating the universe well, I'm treating God well. I think it's kind of all, and that's sort of my, I don't know how, no, I think that's pretty much my belief system about (laughs) spirituality, right? And I, so I kind of think, yeah, in living these for me, I'm treating everyone exactly how I want to be treated, kind of the golden rule idea. Uh, And I think, in a weird sense, I am treating myself well in treating others well. You know, I think there's part of me in them, the same part of me that's connected and plugged into whatever this is that the shared existence that we have, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think those the shared principles are how we are connected. I mean, it comes out in these little whatever nuancy interactions. Oh, I work with so-and-so or I talk to this person or that person. But really, it's the principles behind the actions that affect those relationships or outcomes. I don't know if that's making a lot of sense, but you know, it's, I can go into a conversation with somebody say, yeah, I had an argument with my neighbor. Well, really it's the principles behind that conversation that dictate that interaction. You know, if I can go talk to my neighbor about an issue we have over like a parking situation and I approach that with love and compassion and understanding and say, Hey man, you know, you're parking Mm -hmm. here and it's in my way. Versus me going over, hey, you fucking asshole, why are you blocking my car every morning? Right. Like, it's easy to say, you know, that the interaction is based on a parking situation, but the parking situation really isn't the interaction. I don't know, that's getting a little philosophically deep, I think. But, no, but yeah. actually, you know what, uh, Some I had a couple of online interactions that might tie into that a little bit, but let's do our little ad here first, and then we'll come back and hit on them. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, so we're back from break. Uh, When we left, you were talking about the idea of 
Uh, and, and I'm not completely sure where you were going with it at all the time, but it was, to me, it came across as like, it's, it's more how you do things, not what you're doing. Right. right. A lot of that aspect. Um, it's not so much, do I disagree with this person, but how are we dealing with that? How are we interacting together? How's that working? And so an interesting thing that I found, uh, I was on Reddit and, you know, a lot of people have differing opinions and I'm on a lot of these recovery uh, subcategories. Look, I'm suck at Reddit. I don't even know what the shit's called half the time. There's little, you know, <laughs> groups of people, communities right. or whatever. And I'm a part of a whole lot of ones that are about recovery and addiction. Um, just to interact with people, maybe plug the podcast here and there, but I find I don't really do that. I more just talk to people who have questions. Um, and so this guy came back on after I had posted a comment and, and disagreed with what I said. And so I, you know, counteracted. I took into consideration what he said and commented back and had a little counteraction. And so what I'm used to is we have this concept of people uh, have found it easier to be nasty online, right? Um, because they're they're not face-to-face. They're not present. They're not physically there, A, to deal. We, we say it's because they don't have to deal with the consequences of my whoops their ass or something, I guess. Um but also they just don't have to really deal with the pain they're causing or the hurt or the trauma they're causing someone, another individual as they're being rude or mean or however they are. Um, you know, and this is an old concept, a uh, little self-disclosure, I guess I might've already said something about being in prison before, but when I was in prison, they called them cell gangsters, right? You had a lot of mouth when you were locked away and nobody could get to you. And then, you know, you, you weren't so tough when you came out for a break. Um, uh, and now we have, you know, the, the Facebook people who, rant and rave and have these like, you know, freak reactions online. And yet somehow you don't see this at your local, you know, gas station going on because it just doesn't exist the same way in real life. But what I found with this guy was that we had a very classy, respectful conversation (laughs) online. Right. And one of the things, I mean, it was awesome. Right. And I even commented back to him that like, I just really appreciate that so many of these people have really respectful dialogues with each other. Like whether it's Twitter, whether it's Reddit, that's the places I've been hanging out lately. And everybody seems to, even if you disagree, they're really respectful about it. And I love it, dude. It's so nice to be able to have a discussion and conversation and and weigh some different opinions and be challenged on my thoughts because I could walk around and believe some shit that I just started believing 10 years ago and don't even remember why I believe it. Right. And I need to reevaluate. Do I still believe this? Why? Um, and so I, it made me wonder uh, if people have an easier time being angry and violent behind closed doors. I have found that when, when these people are posting uh, about having you know, a certain amount of clean time or a question about getting in recovery or a challenge or a struggle with addiction in some way, shape or form, I have found it easier to be compassionate online. And I don't, is that a thing? Like, should it be harder to be nice online because you don't have to? Is it easier to be nice online? Thoughts? Um, Well, I thought when you started talking about that, it reminded me of you know, the telephone was the same way. People would say and act a certain way on the telephone when they weren't looking at someone in the face. So the idea of online being rude and then being different to your face isn't like say it's nothing new. It's the way things have been. I'm sure back in the day when people had to write letters, you could write nasty letter. You know, that was always (laughs) the thing. I would write a nasty letter, you know, and you might write this nasty letter 
you know, because you don't have to deal with your negative attitude. You can just say what you want to say. Or on the phone, you can just say what you wanted to say without having to face someone. And online is just a newer version of that. Um, It's a, I mean, when you think about like online interactions and social media, you know, they're 10, 15 years old at this point. And all of us are still trying to figure it out. Um, But we're still trying to work through the kinks and quirks and assets and liabilities. And there's going to be some good things about it and some bad things about it. Um, You know, I think I I heard someone recently talking about, I guess there's different uh, versions of social media out there. I think one of them is called Gab. And there's some places where you can just go on there and say whatever you want. Like Mm -hmm. they don't have a terms of service that they'll kick you off for saying racist, angry, violent stuff. You can just go onto these sites and say what you want, whatever you want. It's total freedom of speech or, you know, with obviously there are always got to be some limits. You can't, you know, give out people's information and put out hits on people and stuff like that. But it's very loose as far as conversations and stuff. And the the point is, right now, what I've heard is it's described as like a dumpster fire of, you know, just hate and angry. And because you have all these people that feel like, well, I can go out here and say whatever I want. And that's true. They can. But the idea or belief is that that eventually will kind of burn itself out. Um, It's like, print media like yeah you can go write a book about whatever you want to write a book about um but you know it doesn't mean people are going to read it doesn't mean people are going to like it and it doesn't mean it's going to be successful and do you want to waste and put all your time and energy into that if it's going to be to a really small crowd or to not a lot of people i think the thing with internet communication at least as of right now is it's completely free and completely you know you can be anonymous in a way that nobody knows who you are. And it's hard to separate out what is genuine genuine, and what's trolling and what's mm-hmm. people just saying stuff because they're 14-year-old boys at home with nothing better to do. And, you know, you hear all that right. with catfishing, you know, right, <laughs> like, right. and all that stuff and the motivations, you know, behind all that. So that's a long way of saying this is just new platforms of communication that we're all trying to figure out. Yeah. There's some, so there's some science behind the idea of all these, the letter, the phone, the, the internet. Uh, we know now that there's these mirror neurons in our brains that, you know, work well in face-to-face interaction with other people. And they start as when we're a baby and they help us to understand the world. Really. They help us to figure out as we're growing and developing how to interact with the things around us. When, when we're sad uh, or when other people are sad, like we learn through mirror neurons to also be sad in those moments. And we learn when's the right moment to be happy and what's appropriate to laugh at. And like we've always called these like social cues, but really they're a piece of our you know brain chemistry that does this. Oh, man, bless you. Nice for sneezing. Yeah, that was a great way to, that was the quietest sneeze ever. Uh, and so I get how taking that aspect out of it, like when we're not in front of somebody, no matter if that's letter, phone or or internet, we don't have the ability to gauge exactly where they're at. And I think that might be some of what tempers like me, not angrily spewing venom at someone uh, and and to, to show some of my, you know, liabilities and not so great parts when I'm yelling at one of my kids, when I can look in their face and see what it's doing to them and how they feel it generally stops me from doing it further. Right. Like I'm like, Oh shit, that's bad. Now, if I was online or on a phone, 
how do I get that? I don't get that, that feedback from them. Um, and so I, I get that. I just, I guess what, I don't know if it's so easy to do that online. Is it also easy to be nice or is it harder to be nice? Like I, that's, I guess where I'm going. Like, I don't know. It seems like if it's easier to be hateful, it would be harder to be nice, right? Cause you almost have to tap into something more, but I've almost found it the opposite. I found it's been really easy to be compassionate to these people. Whereas sometimes, okay. So sometimes in, in a face-to-face setting, uh, somebody constantly saying, that they have this many days clean or, or it just feels like they want something from me. Right. Whereas online, it's like, I don't know any more about you except that you're putting this problem out there and I wish you the best. Right. Maybe you're, if somebody's struggling to stay clean, Oh man, I'm really struggling. My girlfriend left me this, that, and the other in a meeting. I've probably seen you. You've probably said that 48 times and I'm probably like, Oh my fucking God, this guy again, just fucking right. stay clean, dude. Whereas online, it's been easy for me to say, Holy fuck, dude. I know that's tough. Right. I really hope you you can figure out a way through it, man. Keep, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm stay strong. And I, that's weird to me. I thought it would have been harder to be nice and kind. And yet I've I've found it easier. Yeah. And I think so where I guess my intention behind what I said earlier with it being a new media is that we will figure it out. Like, right. in essence, both of those things are equally true. So it's as easy to be nasty and mean to someone that you don't know as it is to be kind and compassionate to someone that you don't know. And that, you know, for most of us, as that becomes a more regular and more normal form of communication, let's say for you as a person, I would think your genuine personality is going to come through. Um, the other benefit to, to us, at least I think people that are actively engaged in what I'm going to call recovery through the 12 steps and, and you know, the practicing of these spiritual principles that we learn through 12 steps is, I believe, you know, maybe secretly or not so secretly, but the, <laughs> the goal in there is for us to just become our authentic selves, right. to become who we are, be comfortable in our own skin, figure out what our morals and values are. So if I'm a person that, you know, believes that in general, it's, you know, best to be kind and compassionate and loving and caring towards other people. I hope that that comes through in all aspects of my life. Um, but I could, I, it, it did bring, you did bring up an interesting thing, you know, cause I thought about people in the meetings, you know, we're in a small area here, so it's easy to hear gossip mm. or and maybe it's not even gossip. Maybe it's just facts that you right. know about you know this guy was dating this girl and he cheated on her or she cheated on him or right. you know he was sleeping with his sponsee or you know whatever else kind of stuff that we just know from our personal interactions and then it's hard not to carry that into when you see that person again or when right. you interact with them like i know you're the guy that you know like you know you're the guy that stole from your boss for 15 years while yeah. you were, you know, you like, you know, those things about these people. And sometimes it's, it is a challenge to our uh, <laughs> morals and values to let some of those things go. Right. Like, Oh, look, it's the wife fucker sharing about how his girl <laughs> right. cheated on him. Karma <laughs> work. Right. Yeah. No, right. I get it. I so, get it. you know, maybe that autonomy of the internet gives us that because 
maybe you're giving some helpful, friendly advice to some asshole who fucking kicks his dog when you're not. Right. Right, you know? No, very and much that's healthy so. though. That's good. Cause that guy needs that. Right. You know, that you know, autonomy. I, that's funny. It relates <laughs> into what I've always said about, we, we did a lot of traveling to other areas at different times uh, throughout my life. I've done a lot to, to other meetings, you mm-hmm. know, just an hour away from home, maybe a little more, a little less. And you go to a new area and you hear people and it's all fresh and it sounds good and it's exciting and at some point you kind of realize that like those are the same fucking asshole personality types that you're tired of hearing in your own area right it's it's just that you've never heard them so you don't have the backstory to be annoyed by it you're not judging them while they're sharing you're just listening and enjoying it and it's like that it's the same guys it's the same people in every goddamn meeting honestly and you just you don't have the background to to be annoyed by them yeah And it's, it's fun. I mean, that's what makes, you know, social media and all these platforms get a lot of bad press, you know, but I don't know that they're, I don't think they're all bad. I think it's still a work in progress thing. And we had just kind of talked about earlier, you know, a situation with my son where he, uh, they go to this alternative school. There's not a bunch of other boys his age at the school. And we found he's 11 and we found out he was doing some online chatting with, you know, strangers in essence. And of course, as a parent, you're immediate and, and everything you hear about social media is like, oh, my God, we got to tell him to stop and he shouldn't be doing this. And he's, you know, it's dangerous and all these other things. Um, and that was my knee jerk reaction to that was like, we shouldn't have these interactions. We don't know who, obviously he's talking to some dangerous pedophile, 43 year old man who wants right. to find out where he lives so he can come abduct or molest them or get money from them or whatever right. scam they're running. Um, and that's the knee jerk reaction because that's sort of the, the, what you hear a lot in media is the worst case scenario. Um, but the truth is after kind of sitting with it for a couple minutes and thinking about it, I thought, well, a better approach to that would be to sit down and talk to him about, Hey, you know, here are some dangers. These are things you need to be aware of. We need to look out for, we need to know. Um, and there's a healthy way you can use this as a positive in your life. And at least it sounds like for you, that's what, Twitter and some of these things are becoming me. So I have been off a lot of those platforms for the opposite reason is that I would get on Facebook and someone would make a political post and I would try to go into this with like a conversation, being informed and educated and open-minded and try to give different points of view. And it just never seemed to get anywhere. And it seemed to be a lot of you know, if you make any kind of valid point, they just change the point some other direction. And you're like, well, wait a minute. We weren't even talking about that. that Why like are you arguing with my wife? Yeah. So <laughs> to me, like my interactions were very different. And right. so it kind of turned me off to social media. So I, you know, I don't do a lot with and maybe I could go back and revisit it. Maybe it's just politics. You know, it's what isn't there a thing about it? family things you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics you know maybe it's one of those things where well recovery subjects you know maybe that's a better subject to talk to people about versus politics yeah no and i can't argue with that because i didn't really do much on social media before we started doing this podcast uh my social media interaction was definitely lacking and boring and fucking if anything just aggravated the shit out of me and now it's like being more involved in these communities has really been a breath of fresh air. Um, yeah. And talking to, to you about some of those is, and I'm, I was just telling my wife, like I'm on the fence about you've 
presented an appealing side to it like yeah. a like wow i wish i was doing more of this i think this could be a positive thing in my life just engaging with people i i obviously love to talk about recovery and recovery principles and you know applying this stuff in your life and the struggles and challenges and stuff it's all fascinating to me so right. to be able to engage in that way with other people sounds really interesting the trade-off is for me if i start doing that Am I going to be able to keep it to a healthy level where it's like, what else in my real everyday life am I giving up to mm. give that time to that social media? Yeah. And how do I keep a healthy balance of, I do have people that I interact with face to face on a regular basis. I have guys I sponsor. I have a sponsor myself. I have friends and people in my recovery network. And am I ignoring or negating that besides my kids and family, obviously, but am I ignoring those relationships to go have some anonymous relationship with some stranger online because it's right. more appealing? <laughs> well, and I, I happen to have uh, with, you know, winter break from classes right now. I happen to have a inordinate amount of free time, honestly, <laughs> that I have devoted a lot of to, to being online just because it's been good for my life at the moment. But I, I agree. Like there is points in time where I don't necessarily want to not be on those, you know, sites talking about positive things, but I do have other things that need to be done. Um, and so, it, you know, hopefully I don't neglect any of my real life responsibilities for, for this other world, but I, I have found it interesting. Um, one of the things that, that popped up last night for me, and I, I want to mention this. So uh, I posted on Twitter last night just because I, I don't know, I was excited about this morning. I was ready to like fucking do this. And I said, and, and a little bit of, you know, make, hey, everybody that doesn't know yet, I do a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. It was a little of that, too. I'm not going to be totally dishonest. So I said, I don't even know what we will talk about tomorrow morning, but I'm so ready to record the podcast. Love Sunday mornings. Did not fucking expect anybody to say anything, honestly, because <laughs> generally people don't react to podcasts. Right. I've shared a couple of our podcasts on there and they've got like three or four likes all by other people who have podcasts shockingly right, <laughs> right. like oh well, i guess podcasters listen to other podcasts or at least like them um and so this this guy responded i'm assuming it's a guy i should say this person uh but their 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 handle is at alcoholic dad four right <laughs> which is kind of humorous to me I, i'm sure it's you know a couple tears up from like at big booty clapper for 2069. <laughs> um, but he, he said, or they said, love your podcast sort of, and then laughed, which is pretty funny actually. <laughs> and then they said, seriously, love the show. And it fucked me up. <laughs> it, it, seriously. Like it just fucked my whole world up when they said it. And I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know what the fuck to do now. Right. I really don't know what to do. So I get uh, the whole concept of like, cognitive behavioral therapy and, 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 you know, which we refer to as CBT and the idea that we have these core beliefs or schemas. And when we don't like ourselves, we deflect anything that sounds like a compliment or a positive and we can't hear it. And I lived my life like that for a long time, right? I've been through some therapy. That's not where I am today. I can take in compliments. I'm still not always sure what the fuck to do with them though. Right. And so I felt this, I was able to take it in and feel it like, man, this guy like apparently likes what we do. Maybe not. Maybe he's never fucking listened. And he just made that shit up and he was being nice. Either way, <laughs> it felt really nice. And I was like, I just don't know what the fuck to do with this. Right. If you'd have said, 
what do you want out of this podcast? I'd have said millions of adoring fans, obviously, right? <laughs> uh, and and now I got somebody that says, hey, what you're doing is kind of cool, right? And it fucked me all up. And so I did manage to put some words out there, and I said, holy crap. I'm not even sure what to say or how I feel, which was really just saying that I don't fucking have anything to say. Uh, thank you. I'm humbled, and I hope it assists you in your journey in some way. I'm like, all right, that's a pretty cool response, right? And so then he responded, they responded back. I keep saying he. I guess dad throws me off, right? Yeah, it could be a female dad. dad. It probably is a he, but it could be. Who knows? Fuck. I don't know. I don't want to judge. And then they said, uh, back to that. I'm listening to a few episodes, relaxing to listen to. Great work, mate. So I'm assuming they're from Australia since they said mate. Yeah. Uh, I don't know anybody else who says that. And I really, again, had no fucking response. I, I threw a gif up there of a guy who didn't know how to talk, uh, you know, at a loss for words. And I just, what the fuck is that? Do you have, have you had that experience where like somebody compliments something you're doing or, or says, so I, I don't know. I like, honestly, I don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Really? Like, I love talking to you. I love talking about recovery. I enjoy that aspect of it. But in the sense of, are we helpful or useful to anyone or is anyone going to enjoy it? I have no fucking clue. I posted on Reddit this week, like, what mental health podcast do you people listen to and why? And they gave me a whole slew of them and I'm like checking them out one by one. Um, and I'm in the process of that now, but I'm like, I don't know that people will ever get anything out of listening to us. I have no fucking, I don't even know what direction we're going. Are we only for people in recovery? Are we relatable for people who are just living life? Who've never dealt with drug use. I don't, I'm so clueless. And so for somebody to say that they liked it, it just fucked me all up. Do you have an experience in your life where somebody complimented something you were doing that you weren't even really sure if it was a good thing or not, and you just didn't know what to say about it? I don't know about if I'm sure it's a good thing, but I I sort of feel that way a lot of times about sponsorship. Mm. Like, I don't I'm just showing up and helping you (laughs) along your way. And, you know, sure, the compliments feel great, but I don't feel like I'm really doing anything special or special or magical special Popeye that's a new word building um (laughs) special or magical but I so with this podcast I like to think we're really just talking about like practical application of spiritual principles for me a, a big uh area that I struggle with for a long time is going to meetings and sitting on my hands and thinking if I just sit on my hands and be good, all this magical, amazing stuff's going to happen. Mm. And that was always my struggle with religion was always this. If you just believe in God like enough, some like magical thing happens and poof, you're better. Right. You know, you're just better. And that that's how this it was some sort of magic. And my understanding or belief now is that, no, it's not magic. It's a lot of work. And Mm -hmm. it actually, in essence, is very practical and very uh, systematic in application and approach. Um, That the work that I do in the steps is more like math and less like magic, you know, in that if I do A, B, and C, the results are going to be D. Um, And I think we missed that. I think what happens to a lot of people, they come into meetings, they hear these people and they talk about these steps and this mystical stuff. And they just think it's something they don't grasp. And, mm. you know, 
So I like to try to put a, a practical approach to recovery and the application of principles and and how we live this thing, how we how we do it on a regular basis, not only just to get off drugs, but to be better human beings and be more uh, healthy people in society. And I think that benefits everyone, not just addicts and not just our families, but it benefits everyone, these principles, when we can take them out to apply them in our lives. Right. Um, so with all that said, I don't know. I think a lot of things happen in life where if I'm just applying spiritual principles to the best of my ability, good things come from that, again, in spite of myself um, at my job. If I'm just courteous and polite and compassionate to the people at my job and it makes their willingness or ability to just show up and do a good job that much more, you know, that's, I don't, I mean, take credit for is a, like, I don't think I get to take credit for that. I think it's just a benefit to everyone. Just like my taking my trash and throwing it in the garbage you know, or putting my recycling bottle into a recycling thing, you know. Don't start me on the cleaning up after yourself. <laughs> yeah. But, well, I'm just saying, like, I I take care of my part of the street right. and everyone benefits, you know, or, or a majority. Maybe not everyone benefits, but in general, the public benefits by me just taking care of myself and keeping my part of the street clean. And I think that approach to life would help a lot of people, you know? Right. No, I agree. Uh, I will say that, that my, my humbledness, my humility, my loss for words lasted only about 10 minutes. Uh, I was really caught up in it. I I shared it with my wife and I I was like, Hey man, this guy has me at loss for words. And I read the whole interaction again. And then uh, good old, you know, Jason brain took over again. And I was like, did he just say our podcast was relaxing? We're not supposed to be fucking relaxing. I'm like too <laughs> amped up. We should be, we should be funny or oh. we should be, I don't know, not relaxing. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? We're relaxing. Right. And I was all fucked up after that. I was like, I don't even know. I don't think we're supposed to be relaxing. Right. I, I have no clue. But... I think relaxing is good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I feel too amped up for us to be relaxing, but I don't even know. It just, it was like, it was funny to me. It was actually hilarious to me how it went from in awe of this person that actually enjoyed a little bit, something we were doing to feeling criticized by the compliment. (laughs) So I'm going to take this in a little bit different direction because this idea just popped in my head. And it's one I've thought about over the years and I really agree with a lot. Um, I believe that everyone in the world has some benefit to offer to the world. Okay. You know, and that if you give them the right environment, circumstances, motivations, and and I say that in my interactions with other people. So it's easy to go into meetings and you hear people that you get mad at because they say certain things or they talk about certain things. But, you know, I believe that every human being has something to offer the world and that if we can support and love each other enough that that thing will come out and, and shine so that we obviously have something or, you know, not to sound egotistical, but in that context, we have something to offer the right. world too, just like anybody does. And I think you had said it and I've done it. I've told a couple people, Hey, if you want to come on and talk sometime, we meet at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings, right. you know, just let me know or just show up and we'll, you can be part of the conversation too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, Nobody has taken that on yet. 
Um, I know. I'm disappointed. I want more messages too. I want people to tell us like, what the fuck? What do you want? Like we're thinking about doing a step of the month. We're thinking about uh, doing recovery tools or acronyms or cliches or all these ideas. And it's like, I would love some feedback uh, through email or message or, or however the fuck you can get in touch with us. Like, let us know what would be useful to you. I, I want to, or, or if you are interested in coming on, fuck it. I don't know. Maybe you suck. Maybe you don't. We'll, we'll have you on a try. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the result of those, like the result of living these spiritual principles is, you know, our higher powers will in action in the world. Mm. You know, it's like these, and again, I know we've kind of gone different ways with this, but I don't believe like there's just some greater, you know, higher powers will at work that's going to happen in spite of me and how I act. I believe that God's will is acted out through our actions in the world and that, you know, the result of God's will is if you're using this three letter capital G God thing. You know, the result of God's will is me applying these spiritual principles in my life. And it's not me that's doing it. It's me practicing these spiritual principles. And the result of that is God's will happening in the right. life, in the world. Um, and that, you know, so, yeah, when we're living these principles and trying to do them to the best of our ability, you know, we are God's love and will in action in the world. Yeah, you're you're where you were going with everybody uh, having a, a talent or something to offer reminded me a lot of the, I think it was an Einstein quote about the, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a wall, like you'll, you'll find it lacking. Even though the <laughs> fish can swim really well, right. right? Like we, we need to judge people not by what they're not doing so well, but maybe they have a different talent that we're just not seeing. Um, another thing to go along with that kind of is, I had read one time, if you look at somebody that you really, really fucking hate, right, or resent or whatever, somebody you just can't find anything positive about, if you really examine their life, you would see that they probably have a couple of close friends. And chances are there's a reason that they have a couple of close friends. Like there's some positive attributes they have that these friends enjoy or like. Uh, and even if you can't see it, everybody has those good things about them. You just might be in a position where you're only seeing some negatives, but it's doubtful that they have friends because they're a dick, right? Like mm, they probably have right. friends because they're nice to some people at least. Um, so you brought up something interesting and I, I think we're getting to the portion of the podcast where everybody turns it off because they have like an hour's attention span. <laughs> uh, you know, meetings program us for that, uh, yeah. that hour, but fuck it. I want to talk a little more. You, you mentioned, uh, you think the program works more in, you know, a practical way of how we act. And look, I, I would agree. Right. So, there's a lot of science behind CBT, 12 steps kind of have some CBT related uh, things going on there. A lot of what we do, reprogramming the way we think, our thought processes, right, that does change us in that factual like way. But I would say with your your statement about not being the miracle that makes the change or, or feeling in meetings that people were talking about this miracle that you didn't get or, or whatever. That makes me question uh, your take on what the spiritual awakening is that we have, you know, at before we, or when we get to 12, at least if we haven't before that, because it says we've had it. And then your take also on like six and seven, where it says like, Hey, I did all these practical actions trying to remove this fucking character defect and I fucking can't please help me. 
take it from me, right? I beg you to take it from me because my way ain't working. So what's your, with not believing in so much in the miracle side of it, what's your take on those two places? I'm curious. Um, so if I were to get into six and seven, so what I understand of, you know, six is getting into understanding my specific character defects, what makes me do what I do or what drives me to do what I do and why yeah, the underlying issues. And then in seven, um, where we humbly ask God. So to me, that is trusting that living those spiritual principles is going to be better than the, Mm. uh, what I thought would happen for myself. For example, let's go back to the, you know, my child molesting father-in-law. You know, for me, for a couple of years, I spent a lot of time justified. And if I talked to 10 people, I could get 10 people to sign off on my justification of being angry and resentful and bitter. And I was mad at the court system because the fucking guy didn't even get sentenced to any jail time. You know, there was a whole lot of laundry list of things that I had to be resentful and angry and bitter about. And I spent a couple (laughs) of years in that anger and bitterness and resentment. Um, because I was hurt, you know, because I was hurt and angry and, you know, in pain. Right. Um, it wasn't until that trying to practice forgiveness became the result of the relief of that pain. So what I mean by that is it isn't like I said, okay, I'm going to forgive this guy and poof, all those feelings went away. You know, what happened was I said, all right. I'm going to practice forgiveness here. And what I'm going to say is that I'm going to let go of my anger and hate and resentment. And I'm going to just turn that over to God. And when I think those things, I'm going to just try to say, all right, I've let that go. I'm going to be loving and caring and I'm not going to feed into those thoughts. I'm not going to feed into that resentment. I'm just going to let it go and think something else or, or change my mind, you know, change my mind. Like, you know, I'm just not going to actively engage in that thought pattern. Um, and in the beginning that took a little bit, you know what I mean? Like it was just a matter of saying, all right, I'm going to not be, I'm just going to not feed into those negative thoughts. And I equate it to like using thoughts. Like if I think about using me personally, like, what I learned early in recovery was I don't sit there and just keep thinking about using and play with the ideas. Like I do some shit. I call my sponsor. I go to a meeting. I talk to somebody about it. Might say something to my wife, but I don't sit there and keep mulling that around in my head and keep thinking about using and thinking about using and what it would feel like and where I can get it and all that stuff. Um, I've learned that's not a good place to be. So I learned that with anger and those things is the same way. Like I have to let that go and not, mull it over in my head and rationalize and justify and relive the situation. Like I let it go. I say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to forgive this time, you know? And then for me, that meant saying, you know, Don will get, well, I shouldn't have said his name, but you know, he'll get what he needs to get out of this. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. It's not up to me to decide what the outcome of this situation is going to be. It's, it's not up to me to, to get vengeance, you know, and all those things. I'm just going to not worry about that and just try to move on with my life and be loving and caring and let that go. Um, And in that something magical happens 
you know, and what that is, is over time, the amount of energy that I spend being angry and hurt and resentful goes down. And eventually now I can talk about him without anger and hatred and bitterness popping up in my heart. Um, so there is a magical result of it's, that work. It's fucking incredible to me that we can talk about the exact same kind of thing, right? The exact same situation in a life. And, you know, you can have a take on it that uh, fits one direction and I can see it from a completely different direction. And neither way can be proven or for sure explained to be right. right? <laughs> like, I, so I listen to everything you said and I'm like, okay. I agree, right? All those things you said, I totally agree with. I just, for me, I can't take spirituality or or the miracle out of it, right? In my head, it just can't, I can't separate them. Like I look at all the times I wanted to quit using and I couldn't. Now look, could science say that you just weren't ready? Like you hadn't been through enough mentally, your brain hadn't gotten to a low enough point? Probably. I mean, they could probably say, so. I don't know. To me, it felt like I kept trying and failing and then something else helped me, right? And I found that same thing in six and seven with character defects. I want to stop these. I've written about them in six. I'm tired of being this fucking dick that I'm looking at on paper in front of me and I just can't. And then that moment comes that I can and I don't feel like it was me doing anything different that made that moment happen. I did the same exact things I'd been trying to do all along. And that for some reason on attempt six, it works when attempts one through five, it fucking didn't. And, and so I, to me, I equate that as there must be something else driving me behind the scenes that is, that is making this like, that's giving me that boost. That's giving me that miracle. Uh, and, and look, I, I, I don't know that that's any more right than the theory that just <laughs> for whatever reason, the science of it worked out. I really don't. Um, that's my belief system. I like it. I enjoy it. So I'll stick with it. But it is interesting that we have two opposite yeah. takes and, and there is no right or wrong. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I think what's neat for me is I don't. So nowadays in my life, like I don't feel a need to be right. I don't feel a need to convince anyone of anything. And that doesn't. And when I say that, it's not like I sit back and go, well, I know I'm fucking right. And I don't right. know what you're talking about. No, it's really like, I don't know either. Like I'm. Uh, this is just the best theory that I got now. It's not even the same theory that I had five years, you know, like five or 10 years ago, I had a completely different understanding and take on those steps and how that stuff worked in my life and what it meant. Um, And five years from now, it'll probably be different than where it is. And it could be completely back around to it's all, you know, God's will and miracle and magical. And I don't rule either of those out. You know what I mean? Like it's, I'm open to all that. And I'm always just trying to look for the best understanding of this isn't even as much about recovery. It's more about life. I'm always looking for the best understanding of living a good life, being caring and compassionate and and healthy, uh, what I call healthy, because those are the things that make my spirit feel the best. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I say all the time, like, I don't know if I'll go to like we go to, you know, 12 step meetings. I don't know if I'm going to go the rest of my life. I go now because I feel like it helps me and it does great benefits for my life. There may become a point where I feel like it doesn't anymore or that it's Mm -hmm. holding me back or that it limits my ability of spiritual growth. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm open to either way. You know, like I don't I don't close the door and say this is just what I have to do for the rest of my life or I'm never going to do this or I'm not going to do that. 
Um, or at least I try not to. Um, I try to just be really open to like, hey, this is what's working. This things are a positive influence in my life. Um, I may add things in or take things out or supplement in different ways. Um, all as part of spiritual growth. <laughs> Interesting that I, I enjoy the debate and don't feel super right, as in there's only run, one right way in conversations like this. And yet in my household, definitely fucking right. My wife is super <laughs> wrong. My kids are definitely fucking wrong. Like, I'm right. What the fuck is wrong with y'all? And I, why can't I carry that over to my home life at all? Um, I don't know. Well, some of that's because I think in recovery, so a lot of these conversations I don't have with people that either I don't sponsor or aren't people that I'm close with. Mm. And I have a different role in those relationships that I have in my household. Right. You know, like my household, I feel like I have a pretty specific role as the leader of the household. Um, Ooh, I don't know. Are we going to get into that topic? Yeah. Well, I mean, this isn't anything my wife doesn't agree with. And it's, and again, I'm not saying that every male I got figure you. of their household has yours. to have this, okay. right. This is the way things work in, in my household. Um, you know, my, and again, my wife would say she puts certain expectations and certain, you know, and the way it's been described or the way we've kind of talked about it is that I am the, uh, thermostat in the household. I set the tone for mm. the rest of the household. If I come in and I'm grumpy and angry and, you know, stomping in from work in a bad mood, everything in the household kind of goes somber, you know, whereas if someone else is in a bad mood, I tend to be the leader that can sort of help bring us up out of that. Man, so that's cool. Like, uh, but you know, if you're 84 degrees and everybody else is fucking hot and agitated too, and I get that, that's a lot of pressure on one person, man, to try to. It doesn't give you much space to be out of tune one day, right? If things, if the, for whatever reason the thermostat is a few degrees off, the barometer's off that day or that week because you're having a rough week, you're sick, whatever, that puts a lot of pressure on you. Like, the, I almost feel like. I wish somebody else had the ability to step up and be that person too, right? Like it would be nice if it wasn't all on you to be the, the thermostat. Yeah. But isn't that most of life? I mean, isn't that at my job and everywhere else? Like, yeah, I wish some people at work could be more responsible. I wish this, um, I would say that's, it's great to want other people to step up and take some responsibility, but ultimately it doesn't, for me personally, it doesn't, negate what I still feel is my responsibility. Okay. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? I like, you. like I still, the responsibility is still mine, whether right. I like it or not, you right. know, the, the, and like, you know, just like being an addict, like, yeah, there's a lot of days I want to be able to go out and socially have a couple beers with some guys at the bar, whatever, after work about the football game. That's great. But it doesn't negate that I'm an addict and that I still have limitations and responsibilities on my life so right. again for me personally i feel like i have a role in my household that's my responsibility that you know whether i like it or not and i have choices i don't have to take on that responsibility and in fact there are plenty of times i fall short and there are plenty of times that i'm the guy that stomps in and you know slam shit on the counter and start screaming about why the dishes aren't done or the kitchen's not you know there are plenty of times that that happens yeah, you just um, got me thinking about the temperature I'm setting. So it, but again, it doesn't negate the effects of that, and it doesn't negate my responsibility to try to do something different. 
Well, this this analogy would obviously explain why my family is all fucked up, right? Because <laughs> uh, no matter what temperature we're at, nobody's fucking happy, right? I'm the cheap ass that wants to keep. Okay, so it's winter and it's cold here, so I want to keep the the temperature, you know, warm enough to survive. But look, it's fucking winter. You should have on long pants if you need it, long sleeves, and fuck it if you really need it, a blanket, right? We're not turning the temperature up to heat it. My daughters believe uh, in the middle of December and January that you need to turn the heat to a level where you can wear shorts around the house and T-shirts. And, you know, I'm like, no, that's not how this fucking works. And so it would make sense that my temperature in other ways, you know, of me trying to set the tone of the house, even though I'm setting it the way I think it should be, it would make sense that a 14-year-old would not agree. Yeah. Like it would make sense that even if mine are making sense, and maybe I could be more flexible. Maybe it doesn't have to be 69 degrees. Maybe it can be 71, right? Maybe I don't have to be quite as cheap. But also, they're just not going to be happy because their life is revolved around whatever it is I'm not getting is what I want to make me happy, right? I got blonde hair. I wish it was brown. I got, you know, straight teeth. I wish they were crooked. Oh, I, I don't have facial hair. I wish I did. Like, everybody just wants what the fuck they don't have in my house, it seems like. Well, here, we'll stick with the house analogy. Your kids are the drafty windows. Like, they just <laughs> ebb and flow with whatever the mood is outside. You I know what I mean? Like, they, don't, they don't have the ability to maintain a nice, even tone. They don't have the ability to. So what you're saying is I can fix them with duct tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um, did you have any, any, oh no, you did say something else that, that came to mind about not being sure you would go to 12 step meetings the rest of your life. And, and I don't, you know, believe that that means you're going to switch your ideas today or tomorrow <laughs> or next year at all. Um, but I found it interesting because I don't think, I don't know that I go to 12 step meetings the majority of the time for me. Like it's a good reminder of what I need to do in my life. And I think it gives me an opportunity to show up and give back, which is hugely important for me. Not that I couldn't find that elsewhere. Um, but I do have some kind of tie into the belief that maybe I need to be there for a good long time. And, and then look, if it became unhealthy, I'd stop. But that program gave me something freely. And I feel like it's a little bit of my responsibility to show up and give it back, whether I'm really feeling like it or not a lot of the time. And I don't know what would change that. Okay, so I'm going to give you some what might change that. And go. this is going to get a little bit, I'll Ooh. say, quote unquote, political within the 12 step That's community. That's right. Everybody's listening now. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't lost everybody at this point. So within the 12 step community, obviously, we belong to a fellowship that is based on abstinence from all drugs. Ooh. There's been some push at different times by different people to say that maintenance programs can and should be included in our form of recovery that people should be able to celebrate. They should be able to work steps while they're on Suboxone, Methadone, those other programs. And there seems to be two pretty contradictory uh, sides to that. One that obviously is in support of that. The other one that is not in support of that. And as of right now, the fellowship believes that, you know, maintenance programs are not abstinence. Um, If that were to change and they all of a sudden said, Hey, cause there's a push. There are, things in the works, motions that have been brought up, things like that, to change that attitude and to say that if you're on a maintenance program that's prescribed by a doctor, that's just like medication from any other doctor and that you should be able to be clean. And this isn't to make you pick sides. I I have my opinion, whatever. I'll gladly share it. I can understand because if if you just had a surgery and you need pain medication, you are using a narcotic 
prescribed right. by a doctor for a period of time, or if you have uh, uh, some sort of mental health issue that you prescribe medication for, this does alter your brain and your mood and your thinking, right? So I, I get where they're right. coming from with that. But argument. the point of all that is to say, so if our fellowship decided next year that now being on maintenance programs is recovery, just like your 16 years you got, the guy that's right. been on methadone or suboxone for years, he is also equally as clean and has the same equal recovery you know, A, would you want to continue to support that? And I'm not asking you to make that no, right, decision right this minute. I'm not putting you on the spot. I will. Nobody's and B, how would that change our fellowship and the direction that we go and, and what it looks like? Because right. I think the abstinence part of it is a big uh, influencer of mm-hmm. the message of recovery. So, and that's just to throw out a bunch of hypotheticals to say, right. if that happened next year, Three or four or five years from now, would you still continue to support that? And and so, it's just an <laughs> right. Okay, so here's a few take quick takes on that. One, uh, I don't have any problem with anybody that does something to better themselves today the best they can. If that is a harm reduction method uh, and that betters their life, if they're not shooting fentanyl and about to die, and instead they can take methadone and go to work and support their family, fucking awesome, bro. Do it. If that's the best you got today, that's an improvement for your life, and I appreciate it. Right. Um, but I, I am assuming that if that happened, if, you know, a fellowship decided that that would be okay, that something else would give, there would be enough people in dissension of that, that they would either form their own fellowship. They'd switch over to some other form of fellowship. Like there would be something going on and I would probably have to make that move with them. Right. So it's not so much that I'm counting on that I would still show up for the particular place I'm at, I guess I I might have to switch should something like that happen. Um, because I do think there's a a difference. I'm not against people celebrating, uh, you know, harm reduction methods, uh, or medication assisted treatment. I'm not against people celebrating that. I just, it's not what I want to talk about for me. Right. Because I'm honestly just really fucking glad none of it was available for me. Because I probably would have chose it because and not that I'm saying it's the easier, softer way. But for me, in my situation, knowing now I can look back and say, obviously, I can do it without it. Before going into it, I wouldn't have said, obviously, I can do it without it. I just said, oh, this looks more attractive. I still get to have a crutch, which is what I always wanted. And I know saying that I'm not trying to say that people on, you know, MATs are using a crutch. It's not what I'm getting at. Right. I just for me. I'm glad it wasn't an option because I would have taken it, I believe. And I'm glad I don't have to wonder about it or question my cleanness or any of that. I don't want to. Right. Right. I want it to be clear and evident uh, that I'm free and I don't have to rely on that. Same way I feel off of vaping. Right. My Suboxone for cigarettes. uh, I feel freer now that I don't have to. And I want to do a whole podcast on <laughs> maintenance programs and recovery pathways they and save harm lives. reduction. And yeah, right. I think they all of it's interesting lives. and fascinating and creates some uh, philosophical ideas that we need to kind of that I have struggled with over the years. And again, I was one of those people 10 years ago and have been like, ah, oh, it's all just using, you right. know, and I had no open mindedness about it all. That's changed over the years. My attitude about that's changed. 
So I, so one thing I've changed to believe that they save lives. I fucking absolutely believe that the research is out there. It's not a big shock, right? It, it makes sense. One of my hangups is that I still kind of believe that the ultimate goal is abstinence. So, and that yeah. might not be for everybody. And that's hard for me to see. Like, I think these are a great stopping point along the way. Right. I just still think we're aiming at complete abstinence and that's not everyone's goal. And I don't know how okay I am with that. Yeah. That's where yeah, I, I don't even know up. if that's the right goal. I mean, it depends on what you're, you know, know. whatever. That's again, that's a whole podcast of stuff. Right. Um, but before we went down that road, it was to say that, you know, I don't, I, I can't say 10 years from now that I'm still going to be in my same home group showing up for meetings and, and have that commitment to recovery that I have now. Things I, I never you. know what's going to change and how life's going to ebb and flow. And I don't even know if I'm going to be clean. You know, there's no guarantee that I don't use next week. You know, some shit happens or I get in a car accident and go in. They put me on pain medication. And before I know it, I'm fucked. Yeah, I would not get any more positive feedback about this uh, podcast if it was only me talking. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah. But, you know, I I don't I'm never guaranteed anything. So to say that I know that I'm going to be in meetings the rest of my life is you know, like saying, I know I'm going to be alive next week. Like, I don't I don't take any of this for granted. I right. try not to. I don't say I don't. I do. Yeah. Obviously, I'm planning two months from now yeah. when I'm going to be at this summer thing or, you know, I whatever. I know what I'm going tomorrow. But, you know, it's it's the idea that I try to just maintain an attitude of open-mindedness, willingness, um, you know, an ability to just live life to the best of my ability and, practice these principles in all my affairs and you know you talk about like a 12 step and how do i apply 12 step well i believe that just by trying to be the most spiritual person that i can you know i i try to practice spiritual principles in all areas of my life you know that that spiritual awakening is the realization realization that like when I'm doing that, I am the absolute best version of myself that I can be. Mm-hmm. I'm a positive influence on, again, not just my work or my kids, but the world. You know, that these these actions of love and kindness and compassion have a ripple effect. And that learning to apply them more and more and more, those ripples and waves get bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And it's just like the interaction with the kid the other night. Do I know that if I would have said this or said that or whatever, it would have made a drastic change in his life no but if he walked up and had an interaction with some people that ended with you know us saying hey man we used to be just like you you know what i mean we know where you're coming from and what you've been through and you don't have to do this your life can get better and you know here here's a cigarette in fact here's a hug leave this knowing that people do care and people do want to help you if you want to help yourself Right. And again, does that mean anything great would have changed in his life? Maybe, maybe not. But that I would hope in that moment that he would have felt that connection of love and compassion and humanity that somewhere down the road might make a difference. Did you just and that is a spiritual awakening? I did. Or, or 360, yeah. really. Finally did the 360. Yeah. So that is, you know what I mean? Like that's a spiritual awakening, you know what I mean? Realizing that all these little interactions and little moments that we have with people in our lives have the opportunity, have the uh, potential to be a really important and big thing. Okay. Well, I can't possibly wrap it up (laughs) any better than that. Uh, 
I do. Or do you have any more to say about nah, anything we talked about? Good. All right. So because nobody's listening, I'm going to uh, do a quick little segment that I've been thinking about that we'll probably never do again. All right. So uh, here we are. We're going to do a little segment. We'll probably never do it again because I don't even know if I'll ever have another idea like this again. But it's going to be called How to Change the World. So here we are. How to Change the World, which is going to be ridiculously terrible, <laughs> awful ideas that won't really do anything. Um, and so today, what I came up with is that um, if you've ever watched American football or probably any sport, they have some version of fouls or flags or, or you know, penalties that you can commit. Um, and so I related to American football where they throw a flag. And from now on, instead of only having unsportsmanlike conduct and penalties for the things we do, if you listen to behavioral psychology, they will tell you that people are much, their behavior is much better changed by rewards than with penalties, right? We change better when we're rewarded for a positive behavior than we do uh, for being punished. So we will now have things like sportsmanlike conduct, right? <laughs> so every play, if you help another guy from the other team up off the ground, you get a yard for that, right? So if five <laughs> guys help five other guys up, you get five yards after that play. And then if you pat a guy on the butt after they, you know, block the pass that you were supposed to catch, that's a couple of yards for that. And just we always are penalizing in all these sports, right? In, in basketball, you know, oh, you double dribble. Well, what about when you don't double dribble? Let's reward that, right? Hey, you get a free foul shot because you fucking dribble down the right way. Uh, and I just think we don't ever acknowledge this in sports. We have no reward for positive behavior in sports. It's all penalties. And so from now on, that's how we're going to change the world. We're going to have positive uh, you know, rewards and gifts to all sports for all positive things. What do you think? I, 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 have, I hate to say this. I could not disagree more. <laughs> and here's, here's the first thing I thought of with that. And I remember, and I've actually said this in meetings, like, I think it's fucking hilarious that we go to meetings and we celebrate not being a piece of shit with a cake. Oh, <laughs> like, I love that, it. That, you know, that I deserve some fucking special accolades or special rewards for not sticking drugs in my body and being a total piece of shit. I stole from my family. I lied. I cheated. I got arrested. I broke the law any opportunity that I got. And then I think I deserve some special fucking accolades because I'm not doing that. Like, t and I get it. We do it. Because right. it's it's for us, it is a struggle. And, and as a recovering person, like it was very hard to get off of drugs. But that to me, outside of that meeting and that fellowship and sort of a personal uh, celebration for myself is sort of funny. Like, right. and I look at some of the things like that. It's like the thermostat of my house kind of attitude. Like I have a personal response. I believe I have a personal responsibility in this world not to be a piece of shit. I have a personal obligation to not just run around and wreak havoc and cause harm because it's convenient, easy, fun, for whatever reason. Like, I feel like it's my uh, personal responsibility to try to be kind and loving and compassionate. And if I'm just doing it because I'm being like spiritual bribery, then, you know, like, it, right. is it really worth it? Well, so the, the whole process of us still being alive, evolution, right? We, we fuck other people to make babies because it feels good, right? It, things have to be rewarding in order for us to continue doing them. We eat because it feels good. Like, there's these processes that keep us alive and we continue to do them because they're naturally rewarding to us. 
Correct. That's the whole process of evolution. So if we could reward positive behavior in everybody, I get that you're saying it seems like you know spiritual bribery, but at the same time, if everybody's a nicer person, is there really a drawback to that? So when I talk about like one of the sayings in our fellowship is being happy, joyous, and free, uh-huh. I am happy, joyous, and free as a result of living spiritual principles. Like the reward is in living the principle. I agree. And I struggled with that forever. I thought that I needed a reward to live that way and that those things were like fucking weaknesses, like being kind and generous and helping somebody out without getting something in return. Like, what the fuck, man? Right. I can't. Co- if I'm going to come help you move like you at least fucking owe me a pizza and some beer. Like, right. I'm not going to come do that out of goodness. Now I've learned that helping people that are my friends or even people that aren't my friends like that shit feels good. You know, right. if I help a stranger change a tire at the on my way home from work. There's someone I don't even know. I just see some guy or lady broke down on the side of the road, scratching their head, not sure what to do. And I pull over and give that person assistance. When I go home and lay down at night, I don't know about you. I feel like a good fucking person. No, absolutely. <laughs> and and behavioral psychologists tackled this, right? Exactly what you're talking about, where, the you know, we do deal with some rewards that are ingrained. Sex feels great. So we're already going to do it. We don't need Nobody needs to pay us to do it, right? Like we're already rewarded for doing it. Um, But as we saw with like classical conditioning, Pavlov, the bell did not make the dog salivate. It was the pairing of the bell with food, right? Feed up time. It was the food that the dogs were really salivating for. And so we do this with children when we want to modify behavior. Do we want them to ultimately not piss their pants by themselves because that's rewarding to not piss your pants? Yes. Initially, not for every kid, though. Some kids don't really aren't bothered by the pissy, shitty diaper, right? And so what we have to do is encourage them with like an M&M or something like that, a treat. We give them a reward at first, right? And then through the process of them always having dry diapers or, or dry underpants, they learn to like that feeling all by themselves and it becomes its own reward. So it's almost like we need to give them a little Mm -hmm. reward that already does it to get them to the place where they can feel that secondary natural reward of liking it for themselves. Yeah. Well, that's going to get on a whole road of, I think that's what school should be for. But anyway, (laughs) I I think you should be learning those things in school. Like if you want to learn some useful shit, (laughs) learn how to treat other human beings with compassion and understanding. I'll just say, even if I completely agree with your theory of we shouldn't celebrate people doing the, you know, what they should be doing already. I fucking love cake. So I disagree. (laughs) Uh, Always have as much cake as possible. In fact, just start having cake at every meeting. And then for anniversaries, have two. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it is so and what you just ended that kind of with reminded me of their idea. I heard someone recently explain and I'm going to mess it up here, but they recently explained the fake it till you make it theory. Mm. And it was exactly sort of that idea. It was like you come in and you learn a new principle and you don't necessarily know why it's good to do it or that it's good to do it. And you may not even believe that it's good to do it, but you do it anyway. You fake it. Right. And then after you do it for a little while, it becomes part of your mental conditioning. Mm. And that's when you make it when it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is what we do here because there's benefits to it. And so I never heard fake. Like, I hated that saying when I heard it in meetings, like fake it till you make it like that's stupid. I'm totally doing a cliche fucking. But then I heard someone say, (laughs) explain it completely out of the context of meetings. This had nothing to do with meetings or nothing to do with any. It was on a TV show, actually. Right. And it wasn't even about recovery or anything, but they were talking about it with therapy. 
they were talking about <laughs> fake it till you make it. This is a therapy tool they were using. And like, I, just, I thought that's fucking funny. Like, anyway. Yeah, I think we're going on like two hours now or something. <laughs> what the fuck ever. Uh, I don't know. So you got anything else? No. Nah, All right, quick. We'll wrap it up. Everybody have a great week. Uh, thanks for listening. Please leave some messages and interact. We love the fucking interaction. That's what makes this all worthwhile. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor. Email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.